Hello everyone and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study where we study God's Word. Well so far we have seen the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist, a short narrative of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness and we got to see Jesus choosing his first disciple. So today let's continue our Bible study by taking a look at the four fishermen who are called to be Jesus' disciples. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, and let's begin with verse 16. Let's get into it. Now this story of the four fishermen is also told in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, uh, verses 18 to 22, and also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, the first 11 verses. And I'll let you look those up for your reference and comparison. Now, two of these men had been disciples of John the Baptist, and they had come to faith in Jesus a year before after John had baptized Jesus. Now, they're called to become Jesus' disciples and his travel companions. So let's begin with verse 16. And as he, and this is Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now as we take a look at verses 16 to 18 here, Jesus must now gather around him a community whom he can teach so that they may become sharers in his message. He calls them in the midst of everyday life where they really live. God's reign does not operate in a void. And Jesus found Simon and his brother Andrew who were along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And much of Jesus' ministry took place near the Sea of Galilee, near this lake. And as Jesus walks along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and Andrew fishing. Now Mark says nothing of a previous encounter of these two disciples with Jesus, but Jesus had met them before. In fact, they had become disciples of his at the outset of Jesus' ministry. Now Jesus calls them to be with him, promising to make them fishers of men and take notice that they immediately gave up their lucrative fishing business to follow Jesus their obedience was prompt sacrificial and it was complete now the urgency demands a response at once, these two fishermen left their nets, and they followed Jesus. Fishing is an art, and so is soul winning. It requires patience, and often 
There are lonely hours of waiting. It requires skill in the use of bait or lures or nets. It requires discernment or understanding. It requires common sense in going where the fish are going or where the fish are running. It requires some persistence. And a good fisherman is not easily discouraged. It also requires quietness. The best policy is to avoid disturbances and to keep self in the background. We become fishers of men by following Christ. The more like Jesus that we are, the more successful we will be in winning others to Christ. Our responsibility is to follow him. And Jesus will take care of the rest. Now a little further on, as we take a look at verses 19 and 20, Jesus met James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee. And they were mending their nets. And as soon as Jesus called them, they said goodbye to their father and they went after Jesus. This same call that was extended to Peter and Andrew was now being extended to James and John. And they responded too without any hesitation whatsoever. They responded immediately. In their case, something of the price of discipleship is indicated by the breaking of family ties because they left immediately their father's business. They left their father in the boat and they went after Jesus. Now Christ today still calls men to forsake all and to follow him. Neither possessions or parents must be allowed to hinder your obedience to Christ. Now let's move on here and let's start taking a look at Jesus' first healings. We're going to take a look at Jesus healing on the Sabbath, an unclean spirit that is casted out in verses 21 to 34. Now, verses 21 and through 34 will describe a typical day in the life of Jesus. Miracle followed miracle as this great physician, our Lord and Savior, heals the demon-possessed people and all those with diseases. The Savior's healing miracles illustrates how he liberates men from the dreaded results of sin. And though the preacher of the gospel is not called upon today to perform these acts of physical healing, he is constantly called upon to deal with their spiritual counterparts. Are these not the greater miracles that Jesus mentions in John chapter 14, verse 12? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. But let's take a quick moment here and let's take a look at some of Jesus' healing miracles and some that we'll read about coming up here. But we're going to see a miracle of Jesus healing a man with an unclean spirit. That will show deliverance from the uncleanliness of sin. We'll see a miracle of Jesus healing of Simon's mother-in-law which will show us a de deliverance from the feverishness and restlessness 
of sin. We'll have the miracle of the healing of the leper, which leprosy was very common back then, which will show deliverance from the loathsomeness of sin. We'll see the healing of the paralytic, another miracle, which is the deliverance from the helplessness that is caused by sin. The fifth miracle that we'll see is the healing of the man with a withered hand, which will show us the deliverance from the uselessness that is caused by sin. The sixth one we'll see, and we have about 13 of them, we'll see the miracle of the deliverance of a demoniac, which is deliverance from the misery and the violence and the terror of sin. We'll see the woman with the flow of blood that's cured from that, uh, which is the deliverance from sin's power to sap life's vitality. The eighth miracle we'll see is the raising of Jairus' daughter, which is the deliverance from the spiritual death that's caused by sin. The ninth miracle we'll see is the healing of the Syrophysician, his daughter, which is deliverance from the thraldom of sin and Satan. We'll see the healing of a deaf man with a speech impediment. That'll be in chapter 7 which is deliverance from the inability to hear God's word and to speak of spiritual things. Now three more here. We'll have the healing of a blind man in chapter 8, which is the deliverance from the blindness to the light of the gospel. In chapter 9, we'll see the miracle of the healing of a boy that's demon-possessed, which will show the deliverance from the cruelty of Satan's dominion. And lastly, in chapter 10, we'll see the healing of blind Bartimaeus, and that'll show us the deliverance from the blind and beggarly state to which sin reduces a person. So let's go to our scriptures here. Let's take a look at verses 21 to 28. And verse 21 begins, Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So looking at verses 21 to 22, we're going to start taking a look at this healing of a demon-possessed man. But let us return to Mark's narrative. We have the first Sabbath incident occurring in the synagogue in Capernaum. The synagogue originated in the exile as a result of Jews meeting together for prayer and study of the Torah. Now, in New Testament times, synagogues were found all over 
the Hellenistic world, and they were the center of Jewish religious and social lives. Capernaum was the home of Peter, and it became kind of a base operations for Jesus' Galilean ministry. There was a Jewish custom permitting visiting teachers like Jesus to preach, which was based on a reading from the Law of Prophets, in the synagogue by invitation of its leaders. Now at Capernaum, Jesus entered the synagogue, and he began to teach on the Sabbath. The people realized as he was teaching that he was just no ordinary teacher. There was an undeniable power that was connected with his words, which were unlike the scribes who droned on mechanically, if you will. But his sentences were arrows from the Almighty. His lessons were arresting, they were convicting, they were challenging. And the scribes peddled a second-hand religion, if you will. There was, there was no unreality in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. He had the right to say what he did because he lived what he taught. And everyone who teaches the Word of God should speak with authority or not speak at all. The psalmist said, I believe, therefore I spoke. Psalm chapter 116, verse 10. And Paul echoed the words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, when he said, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. Their message was born of deep conviction, and while we are not told what Jesus said in the synagogue, we do know that the congregation reacted with amazement to his message. Jesus didn't have to quote the authorities. He didn't have to quote and say that Rabbi so-and-so said this or said that. Jesus' authority came straight from God. His preaching stood in contrast to those teachers of the law. The scholars professionally trained in the interpretation and the application of the law. But suddenly the synagogue service was disrupted by a, a cry of a man. You hear in verse 23, it was a man that was possessed by an evil spirit. And early in his ministry, Jesus came into conflict with Satan. And this is significant for Jesus came to destroy the power of of the devil. The New Testament accounts of demonism do not seem so bizarre as they once did. Reports of demon possession nowadays come not only from distant and remote mission fields, but from the most sophisticated of our urban centers. There, It's all around us. Now, the demon is described as an unclean spirit, and this probably means that the spirit manifested its presence by making the man physically or morally unclean. Let no one confuse demon possession with the various forms of mental insanity that can occur in the people. These two are separate, and they are distinct from one another. 
A demon-possessed person is actually indwelt and is actually controlled by an evil spirit. The person is often able to perform supernatural feats, uh, often becomes violent or blasphemous when they're confronted with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But we see in verse 24, we notice that the evil spirit recognized Jesus and speaks of Jesus as the Nazarene and the Holy One of God. And notice, too, the change of pronouns that go from plural to singular. What have we to do with you? Did you come to destroy us? I know you. At first, the demon speaks as joined to the man. Then he speaks for himself alone. And although verse 23 states the man cried out, it was really the demon who had the man under his control who shouted. And the word us in his question shows that the demon was speaking for his fellow demons as well. They clearly seemed to recognize Jesus and Jesus' mission of judgment. The utterance of the name of Jesus and his title, the Holy One of God, may have been an attempt by the demon to get control over Jesus, since it was widely believed that by uttering a person's name, one could gain power over them. Now, verses 25 to 26, we see that Jesus would not accept the witness of a demon, even if it was true. So Jesus told the evil spirit to be quiet. Then Jesus commands this evil spirit to come out of the man. Now, it must have been strange to see the convulsed man and to hear the eerie cry of this demon as it left this man. Jesus needed no magical formulas, no magic words or anything like that to exorcise this demon. He addressed it directly. He ordered it to be quiet. With this word of power, the evil spirit convulsed the man and came out of him with a shriek. And this miracle caused amazement. It was new and it was startling to the people that just with a mere command, someone could drive out a demon. Was this the beginning of a new school of religious teaching, they wondered. But news of the miracle immediately spread throughout Galilee. And before leaving this portion here, I, I want to point out three things to not forget. The first one is the first advent of Christ apparently aroused a great outburst of demonic activity on earth. The second thing I want to point out is Christ's power over these evil spirits foreshadows his eventual triumph over Satan and all of Satan's demons. And lastly, wherever God works, Satan opposes. All who set out to serve the Lord can expect to be opposed every step of the way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers. We wrestle against the rulers 
of the darkness of this age. We wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Mark again reports this reaction of the people as they ask themselves in amazement and alarm, what is this? Their answer stresses both the newness of Jesus' teaching and his authority. Before this, they had no previous experience with this kind of teaching. Jesus' authority was inherent within himself. One command accomplished the exorcism of the demon. And the inevitable result was that Jesus' fame began to spread over the whole region of Galilee. And with that, I do want to stop here for today. Next time we'll pick up right here and we'll take a look at Peter's mother-in-law that was healed. So until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.